Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And I am excited you are listening in for season five, where we've been starting off each month with a different young woman sharing her story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and faith. Every month, we connect that young woman's story, questions, or objections about faith with Christian guests, and we just have open conversations. And so this month, we've been featuring my German exchange daughter, Leonie. Leone is pretty special here because not only did she get a month with an extra week for an additional conversation, but she also stood in for a couple of our uh, June co-host Tati's conversations at the beginning of the summer. Lots of content for her to consider if or when she wants to. And unfortunately, Leone is traveling today. She's been on vacation in France. She's been visiting uh, her best friend from America, Zoe. Uh, But in case you missed Leone's episodes, we've been on a bit of a journey. Leone shared in the first episode this month about her growing up in Germany, the new experience of coming to the U.S. and encountering Christians. And also she talked about what she believed at the time were her biggest obstacles when it came to faith. But since that first conversation, I would say some things have shifted a bit for Leonie. And some of the guests this month admittedly have had a bit of an impact on her faith journey. If you want to catch up, and I encourage you to do so, you can listen to those conversations on your favorite podcast app or go directly to findingsomethingreal.com where you'll find other things like free resources, an occasional blog post, and also hear how you can become a Patreon supporter of what we're doing here with this program. We are so grateful to our Patreon supporters. And special shout out today to Janice and Chris Baginski. I can't say thank you enough for your encouragement and contributions to this program. And friend, if you become a Patreon supporter, we have a bonus episode available at the end of each month. And this month, Leonie and I talked about where she's at now in her faith journey. I'm excited to share that episode with you. So if you're not a Patreon supporter already, now is the time to check that out. Today's returning guest is a special uh, guest to this program. And before introducing him, I want to tell a little story. So in late fall of 2020, I was beginning to think through some possibly risky changes to this podcast. Specifically, I wanted to begin asking girls who weren't sure where they were at with Christian faith to co-host with me, not just to be here as a one-time thing, but actually ask hard questions and get real about their lives and faith journeys. 
that desire carried with it its own set of what ifs. What if I can't find the right girls to talk with me? And secondly, what if I couldn't find someone to answer their questions? I wanted to introduce my co-host to Christian guests who would be willing to engage and address my co-host questions in honest, relatable, biblically sound and compassionate ways. I knew I couldn't do this podcast without access to guests who could do that. And while I believe the God of the Bible holds the answers to this world, not everyone who follows him or has a so-called Christian platform knows how to answer hard faith questions with both truth and love. So I reached out to today's guest. He'd been on here before, and he seemed approachable and well-connected <laughs> with other like-minded people. So I took a chance, and I was pretty nervous to reach out to him at the time, to be honest. And here's the thing. Not only did he meet with me about this podcast, he spoke words of encouragement and followed up by connecting me with some people. And in part because of all that, this podcast took a dramatic shift in the winter of 2021. And last month, when I was in Cincinnati, surrounded by Christian apologists at the Cross-Examine Instructors Academy, learning myself how to better address hard faith questions that come up, I couldn't help but think, how did I get here? And some of that is because of this guest and the impact of his gracious actions. Casey Leander is a Breakpoint contributor at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. He holds a BA in History and PPE, Politics, Philosophy, and Economics from Taylor University, and a certificate in theological studies from Oxford University. After completing his study at Oxford, Casey lived in New England, where he spoke on apologetics topics at universities, including some big ones that you might recognize, like Brown, Yale, Boston University, and Boston College Law. He has also worked briefly in politics, interning in the U.S. Senate in Washington, D.C. His passion is applying the answers of Jesus to modern life. For a disjointed world, Christians have the deepest answer emotionally, existentially, and intellectually. And originally from Colorado Springs, Casey loves action films, racket sports, strategy games, and food trucks. Casey Leander, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. Oh man, Janelle, what a privilege to be here. You are, you're a rock star. I've, I'm humbled. <laughs> I'm honored to be on. <laughs> no, You're so you... cool. You are so cool. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> I, you know what, Casey, thank you so much for everything that you've done uh, behind the scenes and being here. Um, I, I do have a little thing I wanted to ask you, though. I'm surprised that your bio doesn't say the biggest thing that I know has changed in, in your life in the last year and a half-ish. Do you want to share something that's changed Yeah, definitely. I last talked to you? Definitely. Yeah. The biggest thing that's changed is meeting my wife, uh, Hannah, and getting hitched and... Honestly, it's like too big of a thing to put on just a measly bio, <laughs> you know, so. Um, hmm. How did you two meet? We were set up by a friend. Uh, and against all odds, it actually worked. Well, <laughs> that anything was going to come of this. But my friend uh, who, who actually, so we live on a college campus. Uh, my wife is a hall director. Um, so that's where I'm coming to you live from is a, a Christian liberal arts school. And I had a friend whose wife was a hall director. And so, I mean, setups never work. So we were both like, right, we'll just see, we'll just, just see how it goes. Showed up, we had a game night and all of Hannah's friends were like watching us interact for the first time. So we were like, hello, you know, just like super awkward. Uh, but then what happened is, so she's like a rock star on this campus where we live. Um, 
and she had casually dropped that she spoke in chapel. So I drove away from that game night. I was going to visit a friend, you know, two hours away, and this campus was on my way to that. So on the drive um, to see my friend, I listened to Hannah's chapel talk. And the first thing I heard, she gets up to speak and the students just like go crazy. They're just like cheering and clapping and screaming for like 10 minutes. Like they can't get them to quiet down. And I was like, who is this girl? Oh my goodness. Like, so on the way back, I just was like, we got, we just got to send it. You know, I got to throw a Hail Mary. I cold called her. I was like, hi, (laughs) nice to meet you the other night. Like, I know we didn't get a chance to like really talk, but man, I would love to if, if you have the time tomorrow, would you be up for like a breakfast? Cause that was like the only slot I had, like as I was driving home from my friend's house. So she graciously agreed to meet me at literally 7.30 AM on a Sunday. Cause she liked and, you. And uh, I guess <laughs> miracle of miracles <laughs> and it worked out. So there you go. Oh, congratulations. How long have you guys been yeah. married now? We got married December uh, 31st, um, New Year's Eve, and so it's eight months now. Casey, that's amazing. I'm so happy for you. When did you guys meet? It was pretty fast, right? Uh, We met, yeah, it it went really fast. Um, We met, let's see, a year ago, February. Wow. Yeah. So after we've been married, we celebrated our one year of knowing each other, which, by the way, I would not (laughs) recommend that. (laughs) It's like general practice, I would say, please don't do that. Um, but we did. It worked out. So, and, and it worked out. Yeah. Like if you knew Hannah, you'd be like, oh, makes it. Well, you might be like, what is she doing with Casey? <laughs> like, uh, so, but anyway, for my part, I knew it was a safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm really happy for you. Um, tell me about your work with the Colson Center. Cause that's new too. I want to hear about that. Right. Yeah. With the Colson Center uh, for Christian Worldview, we are, um, we're essentially culture watchers, uh, and we do commentary on current events. Um, so it's a really easy, simple job, straightforward, barely any controversy. Uh, <laughs> and no, just kidding. Pray for us. It's difficult work. Um, uh, and increasingly so as culture, uh, I would say here in the States, we get farther and farther away from each other. The two sides of at least the political aisle, we try our best not to um, just fall on one or the other side of that political divide. Our goal is for Christians to read the news and understand the ideas behind the news that are shaping the way things play out in current events. That's awesome. So, yeah, we say that that the news is like where ideas go to play. um, And so that's our goal. So really cool. Hey, Doc Marr. Doc Mar-, Doc Mar from the Netherlands is here standing in for Leone, if I can hear her, but right now Hello. I can't. Hi. I'm going to drive up to a parking lot, and then I'll be right back, okay? I'm just going to mute myself Yay! for now. Yay! Amazing. I'm so excited you're here. Okay. Yeah, so uh, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you may recognize Doc Mar's voice because she's been on a number of times. She was featured in April of 2021, and then she's going to be featured again in October of 2022, Lord willing. So I'm so excited that she gets to join us and stand in with some questions for Leone. Yay, Casey, I'm so happy about that. I'm so happy. Yeah, Dakmar, I've listened to just your fr- the first like intro episode featuring you, but it feels like I'm meeting a celebrity. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being here. Aww. Okay, Casey, what are you doing over at the Colson Center? 
<laughs> yeah, uh, Dakmar, our, um, I was telling Janelle, our goal is um, essentially to try to read the news through a Christian worldview. Um, and the joke I always make is like, it's really easy. <laughs> um, obviously it's not, obviously it's very difficult work. And, um, but, but what we essentially want to do is sort of highlight the ideas that are at play behind current events so that we can understand essentially, um, differences in worldview that present themselves through current events. Um, mm -hmm. so our audience is primarily Christian. We're, we're trying to help Christians like process what's going on in the world through a Christian lens. Um, we don't want them to see it primarily through a policy or a, um, even a political party lens, uh, but through a Christian one. And I was, I was telling Janelle, that is difficult work right now, as I'm sure, I, I don't know what it looks like for you in the Netherlands. I don't know what it looks like for you in the Netherlands looking at the United States, but to me, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd even just love to hear that. Um. Well, it's kind of just a little bit of chaos, <laughs> but it's, yeah. uh, I think it's a lot of the same though, because like we've got a lot of refugees coming in from, mm. for example, Ukraine. So that's difficult too. So there's right. a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Right. So in essence, that's what I, that's what I do uh, for a living mm -hmm. is right on those current events. Okay. Pretty cool. So what would you say like the... Um, um, the most important part about that work is? What a great question. I think what, I think our goal is to see the world as Jesus saw it. Um, which is important because it, it, it leads us to a couple of distinctions. Um, the first one is that people in general are our objective. They are not our adversary. Um, you know, a Christian worldview is going to say, like in the book of Ephesians in, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, in other words, other people. It's against mm -hmm. the rulers and the authorities of this dark world. And he's referring to sort of the spiritual realm, that there are... Uh, it's like a war of ideas and it's a spiritual battle first and foremost. And I think first of all, that is massively important because human beings have a tendency to, um, view each other as the ultimate enemy that we have. Right. And you, you want to, you want to paint the people across from you politically or nationally as your primary opponent. But I think Jesus radically just, he turned that on its head. In, in his economy, it's God versus evil, essentially. And all of humanity is the battleground where that war is being waged, right? Like we're almost the setting and the objective of that war. We're not primarily the, um, the enemy. Um, and I just, I just think that changed from from me how i view current events you know i think without christ i would definitely be way hostile to people of opposing viewpoints but um by god's grace i just i feel like there's an an openness he gives christians ideally and i know we man i know like first and foremost from where i sit that christians do not always live that out like we're just as susceptible as anyone else 
to kind of getting in the mud and slinging mud and fighting dirty, you know, in politics and other ways. But, but I don't think that's how Jesus does it. Um, I think he resorts our priorities. Uh, and, and for me, that means viewing people as my objective, uh, first and foremost. Like, even if I radically disagree with them, I want to give them a good listening to first. And I want to, above all, even when we disagree, convince them that, um, that they are not my primary opponent. So, I mean, I, that's one main distinction. Uh, but I love that question. So if I understand correctly, the, um, what, like, is the, the purpose of you, of your job, like, of doing that is to help people um, understand that it's not so much the people that are, uh, like, well, they're doing stuff wrong. Like, their grace around it, like, yes, stuff is going wrong, but it's not helpful to hate on people and do stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say that's a huge part of it. I think the other thing we want to uh, teach people to do is see the uh, story of ideas in our world. Um, I had a uh, professor at Oxford say this, and I quote him like ad nauseum because I think it's so profound. He said, we're all under the influence of books we've never read. Hmm. And I just, the more I've like gone on in life, the more true that seems to me is like, we're, we're all a product of our families and we're all a product of, you know, things like biology and like the just physical world. Like we didn't choose to be born. Like here we are. Wow. And, you know, we, we all get hungry and we all want certain things. And, um, and so we're products of those things, but we're also a product of the history of ideas that we've been born into. And for better or worse, those ideas shape how we think about everything. Um, so, so we want to help people sift through, like, what are the origins of different ideas? Um, some of those ideas are deeply good. Like, I would, uh, I'm reading a book by a guy named Tom Holland, and it's called Dominion. And he's tracing the history of just different ideas, like about human dignity, for example. Like, the idea that every human being has infinite value. That is actually not a native idea to human beings. <laughs> You know, every every empire in world history probably would have disputed that idea. They would have been like, that's not true. Why on in what universe is that true? You know, when the Assyrians are like disemboweling people as they conquer all these ancient nations, they would not have been inclined to say, Yeah, all people are basically equal. <laughs> you know. So why is it that, that virtually everyone in the world believes that now? And um, I mean the short answer is judeo-christian beliefs that have shaped all of us um whether or not we know it so that would be like a good example um there are other examples that i think we see causing harm um uh, and we can go into some of those but we're, we're all under the influence of those books we've never read as well so anyway that i mean that's just like twenty thousand feet what i'm doing but my, my real passion dagmar is uh is just talking to people about ideas I don't know if I can narrow it down more than that. That's truly what I love. Like I do a podcast on movies where I, I just want to talk about the ideas that are in movies, you know. Uh, I got to, uh, in the job before this, I would just go to college campuses and I'd be invited usually by the Christian group, but then I'd just spend all my time talking to non-Christians 
as much as I could just about their 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 worldview and and their beliefs and how those were shaped. So, um, mm-hmm. anyway, that's that's me in a nutshell. I don't know if that raises any questions or anything, but that's who I am. It doesn't really raise any questions, but uh, I like it. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of uh, Top Gun, um, Casey? Oh yeah, <laughs> we did a we did a podcast on that one. Did you? What's the name uh, of the podcast and uh, how can people find it? Uh, selfish plug. It's called Cinema Snorkel uh, because we want to help people dive. You get, you'll see where I'm going with this. Dive below the surface of movies and just ask about the ideas that are in movies. So um, you can just find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever. But uh, Dakmar, did you see Top Gun? I'm so curious, like from, from an international perspective. I didn't. <laughs> It's the most American movie. <laughs> it's, is it? Well, it's the air of Top Gun that was made in the 80s, right? Which is all about these like devil may care ace fighter pilots, right? Who are training to fight kind of a nebulous uh, communist threat. Um, but it's not really about mm-hmm. the politics. It's about these like just fighter pilots. And they're just like playing volleyball on the beach and like doing reckless stunts in these F-16s. And it's just cool. Like it just set the standard for what is cool in this country. All right. <laughs> it felt good. No, I haven't seen that one either. So I might have to watch them. Watch the new one because hands down the new one is the better movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I wouldn't always say that, but the new one is actually, it's a great movie. Aww. Yeah. And ever, okay. it's a unicorn in that I think most people in this country actually liked it. It wasn't polarizing. I think we could just come together and all kind of be like, yeah, Top Gun was pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what felt good about it. Like you could take anyone to it and you feel good at the end. Um, Casey, pivoting a little bit, you shared previously on the podcast about your own faith journey. And one thing that I remember you said was God has no grandchildren. Um, can you remind me and whoever's listening hmm. what what that means? Because I know wasn't it your father who told you that when you were a teenager? Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. And I don't think he coined that phrase, but I, I definitely think he lives by it. So I was raised in a Christian home, and uh, I had the huge privilege of watching two parents who were really serious about that. But it didn't mean that they were legalistic or bitter or stodgy. I mean, they're the most lively, life-giving people to this day that I know. And it filled them with grace and forgiveness and like a strong moral center that they passed on to us. So, so I first had the privilege of watching them walk really closely with Jesus and spend time with him so that was huge. But my dad, when I was 14, kind of pulled me aside and was like, all right, son. You know, it was like one of those, like, you're going to be a man now, son, like kind of, you know, talks. And I was like, what's this? But he- Very American. <laughs> is it? Yeah, no, I, I believe that. I believe that. He just was like, listen, you know, your mom and I love Jesus and we're Christians. And obviously our cards on the table, we want you to be a Christian. But if you were thinking about being a Christian just because we're Christians, don't. Like, don't even think about it. And um, yeah, Janelle, he did use that phrase, like God has no grandchildren. In essence, that you, every new generation of people chooses what they're going to do with the message of, of Jesus or even their ideas about God. And um, God is looking for that in each of our hearts 
right? And and it's not enough to just be raised in a tradition. Um, tradition can go awry. Hmm. And it has to be a decision. Uh, do I believe this or not? And so at age 14, my eyes were, you know, it's like huge, like, okay. But I really felt permission to like then pursue answers, true answers about faith um, in my own way. And I think my parents were honest, like they didn't want me to leave the faith. I think it would have been hard if I had, but he just made it very clear that he believed Christianity because he thought it was true and that he wanted me to come to the same conclusions and that I was free to essentially do that. You know, I've heard uh, young women on this podcast uh, have shared with me like, hey, I grew up in a secular, uh, in fact, Dagmar may have even shared something similar to this. Like I've grown up in a secular environment, like no one around me believes in this stuff. It would be a lot easier if other people believed. That's one of the things that Leonie and I just talked about in our last episode that's going to be on Patreon. Um, just like, where's the community here? You know, okay. and I, I feel like Christian faith is better in community. It wasn't meant to be done alone. Um, so what do you say? You've, you've obviously, had, obviously had lots of conversations with um, non-believers to the person who didn't grow up with faith and is now wrestling with it going, yeah, but I can't do this alone. There needs to be other people around me. I think it's such a good question. I understand um, what that has to feel like. And I know I'm also coming from a position where still in my country, Christianity is a cultural force. Although increasingly, it's not one that many Christians love to be associated with. Um, so there, you know, we're wrestling with that tension too, uh, in some ways. Um, I guess the heart of it though, like culture aside is, is a question of design. You know, I really think people were made with a spiritual hunger on purpose. Every culture throughout all of human history has raised the question of God. In fact, we in the secular kind of West are the anomaly. We're in the 1% of human beings who, you know, in large numbers don't really um, believe in God. Uh, every other human culture, you know, largely has in different ways, they've felt that spiritual hunger and they've, they've reached out t sort of towards the divine. So I, I would argue that if, if God is real, I mean, he's put that hunger in us. And the first thing you need to ask is, you know, was I made for a relationship with God? Um, so I would argue that no matter what your culture says, that each of us were actually made to, to know who God is and to hear from him and to reach out to him uh, and to live our lives with an awareness of who he is. And no matter what we do, we can't really escape that hunger. You know, we can try to answer it in different ways, but that's a persistent human hunger. And then based on that, I think we need to formulate our answers of what's, what do we do then? Um, what do we do with that hunger? So I might say that um, people who love God are, are maybe closer than you think. Uh, uh, it might be a very small percentage of a country, but um, but in nearly every country, there is a core of of Christians um, uh, who are there. And yeah, I would argue if it's true, then then there's something to that belief, like like there's fellowship to be had in that community. Mm. But, Go ahead. Yeah, but what do you do with that, Doc Mar? I mean, 
this isn't the first podcast or the, I'm not the first Christian you've talked to. What do you do with when I say all that? Like, how does that strike you? Um, well, actually, um, I visited Janelle, uh, two months ago. Oh, I um, thought you were going to say you visited that church that you checked out. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. And, um, we were talking cause Janelle visited the Netherlands two years ago, I think. And they went to a church in a city like an hour away from here. So um, I had contact with them if they knew of a church close by that um, they felt like had a a nice vibe to it <laughs> for also for young people. Because what we see mostly around here is there are Christians, but most of them are old people. <laughs> That's that's just uh, yeah. a little bit the thing here. Um, so we reached out, and there was a church close by. And I don't know. Ever since I came back, I just I've been kind of off <laughs> off the whole faith journey. Like these last six weeks, I don't know. I just kind of pushed it to the back of my mind. I guess <laughs> I don't know. Mm. But yeah. So I was also struggling with coming on today because I was like, yeah, but then I have to get it back into my mind. <laughs> if you, but I thought, well, like, oh, let's sorry. do it anyway. <laughs> well, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, if you want to share, Dakmar, and you really like whatever you feel comfortable with, but for you, why is that? Because I definitely relate with that, by the way. It's like, there are times when I'm like so psyched about like, yes, church, Christianity, like I want to know the Lord. I just want to you know, like pray and like read my Bible, then there are seasons where I'm like, uh, kind of more interested in what I'm having for dinner. Um, I'm not saying that's how it should be, but I just, I want to relate with you on that. Cause I mean, I, that is how I feel, but for you, like, why is that? I don't know. I think, um, there's just a lot going on in my life. And, um, a lot of it has to do with, um, mental health stuff and just, trying to get my life on track uh and I think a part of me just is like if I if I commit to this because I don't know if you heard like the part where I'm not a full-blown Christian like I don't I don't know everything and of course you'll never know everything but um I just feel like if I fully commit to this it's going to be taking up a lot of time that I already feel like I don't have enough that makes sense. Oh, I so get that. I mean, I'll just speak from my own experience. I think when I, t when I want to um, get away from like the time Christianity takes, you know, because Jesus is so upfront. He really is like, if I'm not Lord to you, then I'm nothing at all. Essentially, you know, he, he really puts it to people in the gospels in a way that I, I'm, I'm always like, Whoa, okay. Like, uh, He's kind, he's good, but he's also very direct. Like he speaks the truth. Um, mm -hmm. But I think for me that comes sometimes from a feeling that I'm like tacking something extra onto my life. You know what I mean? Like, like, oh, I like movies and I like, you know, this kind of food and I like board games and, and yeah, I like Jesus and I like church. And I think there have been times in my life where God has reminded me, like, I made all of those things. I'm not, I'm not on the periphery of those things like, oh, you're playing board games again. Like, no, he's actually, 
as sounds weird to say, like with me when I'm enjoying different activities, like when I'm playing a game with friends, when I'm eating food I really like, God is actually with me in those moments too because he designed me to enjoy friendship and he designed me to enjoy food. He actually made our bodies to need food. Isn't that, I mean, sometimes I just think about that, like that's wild. Like if that's true, right? If that's true. And he made it so awesome. You know, like he, we could just be eating like nutrient sticks, you know, or something lame like that. But he created this insane, like almost infinite palette of tastes. And he created different cultures that are going to come up with different things. And it's like he's in all of those pieces of life. And his goal for me is not to drain them of color. His goal is actually to remove the pieces of my heart that I'm holding back that actually those things drain it of color. And so even understanding like, because the, there are rules to Christianity, but God always puts the horse before the cart on that. It's, it's for our benefit. It's like life-giving. That's, that's what he wants for us. And I know that that still doesn't always convince me. Like I'm still um, like, I get in ruts and I don't want to do things, but, but it's like there's a reminder sometimes that I need that like God is the author of, of all life. And so one example that I, that I think about sometimes is we, um, I know you have McDonald's over in the Netherlands. I don't know what that experience is like for you. It was funny in Oxford, people were like, hey, do you want to go get McDonald's? You know? And I was like, no, <laughs> but, but a lot of my British friends actually like they were into it. I was like, this is weird. This is weird. I don't <laughs> McDonald's know. McDonald's to... is such a comfort food. <laughs> it is. I, it is. Yes. I think about the person who makes, um, my personal favorite is the McGriddle. Uh, with, it's like the two biscuits. It's like two, um, maple syrup soaked biscuits with a, a sausage and a cheese in the middle. And I think about the guy who wrapped up my McBiscuit and, um, and gave it to me through the drive through window. And I think about what God thinks of the work that he did that day. You know, like if there's a, if there's a, not every McDonald's worker is like this, but if there was, if there is one who's very carefully putting that, sausage on the biscuit and stacking the cheese and wrapping it nice and tight and putting that little sticker on it and giving it and he he cares about that work that he's doing is god's perspective like ah it's just mcdonald's it doesn't matter no i i think it is the exact opposite i think he i think the creator of life is is big enough to care about our big things and he's small enough to care about like yes like <laughs> yes billy put like make like put your heart into this work like you wrap that wrapping paper nice and tight that's amazing i delight in that because i'm a god who created order and you're actually doing something of what i made you to do when you when you create when you make food like this he's not like ah it's just fast food it's actually like it brings people delight and that's how i made it to be and I think for me that just, that revolutionized how I looked at faith. And, and the only reason I believe that, by the way, Dakmar, is because I see that that's the God of the Bible. Like, I didn't come up with that idea. I actually think Jesus goes, a sparrow doesn't fall out of a tree, except God cares about it. And, um, and whatever you do, uh, in other, another part of Scripture, it says, whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly as though you're working for God, not for just people. 
So I think like the grand narrative of scripture points us towards a God who is so alive, you know, he's like too, he's almost too alive for us. Like it's almost scary to approach him because what he's going to ask us to do in following him is give up everything so that we can cling to the life that he actually has for us. And that is a scary proposition, but I, I think in my life it's proven so good. It's proven so deeply good that I can't imagine doing life any other way. I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask a question that Leonie brought up, and maybe Doc Mart will uh, address some things that you've thought too, I don't know. Um, but one thing Leonie said in our first conversation, she said that she believes people should put themselves first, um, that it's hard for her to consider giving her life over to something especially just one thing. Um, what you just were talking about, it's choosing that one thing and then everything coming next, right? Yeah, So right. what would you say to somebody who's afraid of that? Like, you know what? I don't want to give my life over to just one thing. I want a lot of other things and I want to put myself first because that's the path to true happiness. Yeah. I mean, I think about this all the time, Janelle. Um, you know, when we're talking about like the history of ideas and the way that we've arrived where we've arrived. One of the most influential books, I truly think in a hundred years, we'll refer back to this book. It's, uh, it's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by a guy named Carl Truman. And his thesis in that book is that we're, we're sort of in a new era of human philosophy, which is essentially what you said, like, put yourself first, and the meaning of life, in essence, is to express yourself as fully as you possibly can with no limits. So, like, if there are limits, like, if, if there are obligations you have to uh, friends or family or, like, there are, like, old or stuffy ways that sort of force you to do things, like, force you into a community or a job or anything like that, your goal as a human being is to throw off those limitations so that you can finally be as free as you want to be. Um, and whether or not we chose to believe that intentionally, that is like the sort of ideological soup a lot of us are swimming in, is like, put yourself first. And I just want to say right off the bat, there is some truth to that. I mean, uh, God doesn't want um, you to uh, be a slave to what other people think about you all the time. And there is a unique dignity that he's given each one of us. And so there's a sense in which the Christian calling is to not um, never, is to, uh, sorry, like words are hard. <laughs> <laughs> the Christian calling isn't to erase yourself or to like be like, God hates me. He only cares about other people or anything like that. But Truman's point is that that ideology of put yourself first forever and always is actually making us so miserable. There's a, um, there's a st statistic from uh, Stanford University that I've been thinking about a lot. In the United States right now, Stanford found 70% of college students say that they are, they, they said they are, quote, very sad. Like, they're, they're beleaguered by persistent feelings of sadness. Um, and one step below that, there's loneliness. So, you know, in the high 60 percentile, I can't remember the exact number, they say they feel lonely 
all the time. Um, another journal of psychology I just read said the, the major threat to children today is not external. It's not an illness or threats to their physical safety. It's, it's internal. It's a crisis of meaning uh, and purpose that they're going to feel. Uh, it's restlessness. It's anxiety. I mean, we're being eaten alive by misery in our world right now. And I think the question I want to ask is, why? <laughs> you know, like, we are the most privileged people, at, you know, in the, in the West, in the modern West. We're the most privileged people ever to walk the face of this planet. I mean, our big problem in, in this country is obesity. There's too much food. You tell that to any human being who's ever walked the earth before us, and they would just, their mouths would just drop open. You know, they just... It's inconceivable. It's like how we have so much plenty. We, we've achieved so much. And that, that is so not to say life is perfect. We still have to deal with a broken, fallen world. And our suffering matters to God. But my point is, why are we so miserable now when other cultures that had far less in terms of material possessions um, didn't seem to be wrecked by mental health issues like we are today? Isn't there also like a bit of a... Uh, there's less of a stigma around mental health now than there used to be before. Right. So isn't it possible that maybe a lot of people were suffering from the same things, but they concealed it? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I totally want to, um, like, open that possibility. And that's, like, within research, you know, we're constantly asking, like, what's causation and what's correlation? what's causing things and you know the truth is like just from the data we're not really gonna we're not gonna immediately be able to deduce uh what's a cause and what's an effect um all the time mm -hmm. so i think you're right dekmar there is a there's a real sense in which yeah we're being we're able to be open but maybe the question i would want to ask then is are having the opportunity to be open are are we seeing more people work through their issues and reach sort of catharsis or happiness that they're that they're going for um i would hope the answer is yes because i'm, a, I'm i appreciate and i think it's a very beneficial thing that we've destigmatized mental health issues so that people bring stuff to the light and and we live in the light of truth actually that's a beautiful thing but i also see among a significant part of the population that it it doesn't always work for them. Um, Steven Pinker is a, uh, an intellectual from Harvard University. He's a psychologist, social psychologist. And his book, Enlightenment Now, raises this same question. He says, every leading cause of death has declined over the last 50 or so years, except for self-harm and, um, and people taking their own lives. And so my, I think for me, that question remains unresolved. But one thing I, I just want to present as maybe a potential answer is that our leading philosophy of live for yourself above all else isn't actually working for us. I just want to hypothesize that. And I know that that's like a very like uh, unpopular cultural opinion. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I feel the weight of that. But I think we have to ask it if we're going to be objective about um, 
about the consequences of our ideas. I, th- I think that's a question we all need to grapple with very seriously. Um, because I do think that there are some answers from psychology, like people are happy when they're altruistic, when they actually view their purpose in life as serving others. That presents purpose in, in life, which is at the core of our mental health and our happiness. It's a core component. We can't live life without purpose. And our purpose often comes from other people, right? So any philosophy that tells us to um, prioritize ourselves to the exclusion of other people is going to be tough to reconcile with that happiness. But I would just say as a Christian, let's take it one step further and say, what do we think the purpose of all of human life is? You know, like, does anything really matter? And I think in my own journey, oh, yeah, sorry, say, say that again. Is there a purpose to all the human life? <laughs> yes. I want to qualify that and say, I believe yes, but I honestly think it's stronger than that. I think whether or not I thought there was, I think the answer is yes. And I think that purpose cannot be found without God in the picture. I'm not saying that people who don't know God aren't, don't live purposeful lives. So hear me on that. I, I think no matter what we do, we can't escape the purpose that there is to life. But my question is, what makes the most sense of it? Like, what makes wrapping up a hamburger meaningful? You know, in the grand scheme of things, if there is no God, nothing we do matters. You could invent the cure for cancer. You could save millions of people. You could bring world peace. And in an immediate sense, that would alleviate suffering. But in a grand scheme of things, everything's going to die in the heat death of the universe. And no one will remember our individual names or anything that we're spending our time doing, um, this podcast or anything really, you could get your education, you could meet the love of your life. And in a thousand years, no one will care without God. But I think we live in a world where there is God. I actually think that's why we feel the purposefulness to our days. Um, and I think in a world where there is God, then everything we do has meaning. Every little thing, wrapping up a hamburger, being with friends, like honestly listening to a friend, God is with us in those moments. He sees, he cares, and actually he's moving all of human history towards a a future in which there is no more death or pain or suffering. We're reconciled. Like Janelle, what's the the first word of your uh, finding something real acronym? Is it reconciliation? Oh, it's restoration. Restoration. That future gives gives purpose to every single thing I do. When I talk to another person, I'm talking to an immortal soul that I'm going to, I'm designed to spend eternity with um, doing a lot of the same things we do here on earth. You know, it's like those things matter. So I know I've just talked like a ton, <laughs> but for me, Dakmar, like that's the end game. Like that's the, the ground level. Life has meaning. Life has purpose. Your life has purpose. Um, specifically, regardless of what you do or don't do for humanity, your life has purpose. And I think culture, in a broad sense, is finding the emptiness of living out all of our dreams, but still not knowing like what any of it is actually for at the end of the day.
I'm watching your face and I know you're processing, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that before I ask the next question, Dakmar. Uh, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, of course, everyone knows that they have to find like a purpose in life and for everyone that's different. Um, and I do hope in some way, uh, maybe in some way, I hope that it's not true because that means that I can be as big of a, as I want and there's not going to be any consequences. <laughs> I don't fully believe that, but like there's mm. some part of mm. me that's like, <laughs> yeah. But then, I mean, nobody wants to be like a right. Yeah. Everybody wants wants to have like the, everybody wants to be as good as they can be. This art, I guess. I can only speak from my experience on that um, because I wrestle with, like, I I tend to be, I'm the oldest uh, child in my family. Like, I want to do everything right. I want to not fall below the expectations set for me, you know, all those things. I also want to change the world. Like, I'm a true millennial in that sense. Like, you know, I just, I grew up believing, like, yeah, I can, we can do it. We honestly can do it. Um it's interesting watching millennials process that now in our 20, late twenties and thirties. And, you know, we have kids or we don't, or we're at our career. Or we're not, you know, it's like, what do we do with that sort of optimism that we all had? Like, how are we grappling with it? And I don't know. I just, for me, the heart of the gospel is removing that pressure from our shoulders. We think it's the opposite, like in two ways. One, we think if there is a God, then surely he's angry and disappointed at us. I think in our heart of hearts, a lot of people are worried about that. I think a lot of Christians are not actually going to the Bible for their answers to that question. They're just living into whatever their parents said or whatever the culture around them believes. And that leads to kind of an unhealthy sense in which there's a performance mentality so I think a lot of people are are in that, but I don't think that's the truth of who God is and what he wants for us. I actually think the gospel's answer is to say, yeah, you already messed up. You know, like you already messed up bigger than you're able to fix. And when we come to grips with that, we might not be the worst person in the world, but we're not being compared to the other people in the world. We're being compared to who we're meant to be. And we all know that we we've failed that. And God actually says, I know. And... I love you anyway. And so it's okay. Like, man, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest for your souls. So when I'm feeling like burdened by that, and I feel like this like little voice in my head go like, God's disappointed at you. What I need to remember is what he himself has told me, which is come back, just come back, like lay that burden down. But the other side of that is like, if there is no God, um, is the pressure really any less in that way? I think living out our dreams sounds liberating. And again, there's a version of that that is good. I, I appreciate like we're meant to actually serve and honor God in our individual unique ways. 
And that looks so different for everyone. And there's a joy of discovering that. But when we take that journey and we're like, I can only be like fulfilled if I live out my dreams. See, like, I think that's where we get into trouble because I think people realize whether you live your dreams or you fail to, you're kind of screwed. Like, like the number of celebrities who are like, I have everything I've ever wanted and it sucks and I'm miserable is a huge list. For me, Matt Damon is a really good example. If you Google this clip, Matt Damon on the Graham Norton show talking about his Oscar, he says he got that shiny golden Oscar and it's like red carpet. He's dressed to the nines. He's come back. I think that this was for goodwill hunting. And he came back to his hotel room and he threw the Oscar on his bed. And he, his first thought was, thank God I didn't like screw anyone over to get this Oscar <laughs> because it's not worth it. He just realized like all of a sudden, like this Oscar is like a piece of metal. I don't actually care about it. And there's like almost not, yeah, there's, yeah. All the famous people say the same thing. Yeah. So it's like in God's economy, like, but only kind of, if there is a God, is it okay to just be yourself? There's a paradox because I think most people look at Christianity and be like, there's no way you're able to be yourself. I would argue it's the only way you're able to be truly yourself. Everything else is just a mask trying to prove your own value in this world. I remember listening to a sermon a couple of years ago, a local guy was uh, talking about the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And then the second commandment being to love your neighbor as yourself. And I thought this was so neat. He's like, um, loving yourself is implicit. It happens when you love God. Like you naturally, it comes, you don't need to worry about loving yourself yeah. or putting yourself first. Um, and you know, as you were talking, Casey, I was thinking about the Christians who are listening to this podcast, because I wanted you to clarify something. And you were talking about the self-love movement and, you know, not all, maybe some of it not being that bad, but we don't have to worry about that as we come to the Lord, you know? And one of the things that I think is over and over and over in scripture and something that, um, I'd love for you to speak to a little bit is, when we come to Christ, we die to ourselves, but we're made into a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Um, and even like as we're talking, I'm Googling, like how many times does it talk about like dying to self in scripture? It's all over the New Testament. Yeah. Um, so how, yeah. how do we reconcile that as people who we have dreams, we have gifts, we know that we're, you know, we live in a, a culture, a world where, it's, you know, focus on you and your dreams and pursue those things. Obviously, you just mentioned um, an example with Matt Damon. There's tons of examples in our culture of people trying to achieve all these dreams and all the things and it never being enough. How do we die to ourselves? How is that attractive? Why do you follow Jesus? I guess that's the bottom line. <laughs> yeah, it's such, I mean, it's a good question to get into the nitty gritty of things. I mean, one way that you can look at it is how you feel about your loved ones. Like, I have two younger sisters, and one of them is just a baby. She's just 17, and it blows my mind. I'm 12 years older than her, and now she's like a young woman. If she ever came to me and just said, gosh, I hate myself, I wouldn't be like, good, that's in line with, like, your puniness in the face of who God is. <laughs> yeah, I would be like, no, no. <laughs> No, I love you. I love you. 
I see who you are. Oh my gosh, like, stop it. Like, I want, no, take care of yourself. Like, I love you. If I were in charge of your life, I would like, I would just try to tr make sure that you treat yourself enough, you know? <laughs> it's like, I really care about you. Like, surrendering yourself to the care of someone who genuinely loves you and wants your best interest is not death, it's life. Mm. The truth is, every human being is gonna fall short of that, but we see glimpses of it in each other. And, um, and so I think that's why God gave us that metaphor, is like if you die to yourself, it's like a true loved one caring for you in their best moments. That's, and, and that's how we actually find the balance. Because if one of my sisters came to me and they were also dealing with something that I knew was destructive for them, you know, like they were wrestling with alcoholism or something like they just, it was like they were, they were going down a path that I knew was destructive. Real love wouldn't say, hey, I'm, ha I'm happy for you to do that. Real love would say, heck no, <laughs> stop it. You know, like, like you have value. Don't do, don't like do destructive things, you know, in your life. Like, I'm not going to sit by and like, I'm not going to force you to do anything, but I, I'd be stupid to not tell you, like, I care about you. Please like change your path. The difference is when you're, when you're in those behaviors and, and I have been, I've been in different places in my life that are not good for me. You know what I mean? It's very hard to see it in the moment. And so I think what God is asking for us is to trust him as the creator, that he designed us for good things and that it might feel like death to give certain things up. But in the grand scheme of things, what he's offering us is life, like, like spiritual life. And that, that doesn't mean that everything's going to be happy clappy for us, but it means that our souls will get to come alive and that we'll find this inner peace and joy and happiness even as we surrender our lives and say, God, like, you're the creator. You, you tell me what's okay for me to do, not me. Yeah. So for somebody who's never given that control, like, up, you know, to finally say, okay, God, uh, I trust you. How do you give up? I mean, clearly you're not going to just turn completely around immediately overnight. Uh, how do you know when you're ready to give your life to Christ? And what does that look like? Is it just Man. a baby step, you know? Man, yeah, how do you know you're ready? I, I don't know if I can answer that for anyone else. But um, I guess for me, I love, like, adventure. I love, uh, to me, there's something about, like, I, uh, for our podcast, we just watched the Indiana Jones um, Raiders of the Lost Ark oh, that's movie. that's a great movie. <laughs> it really is. Um, it's about an inch deep. Like, there's, <laughs> there's no deeper message. <laughs> But to, but to me, there's something like about just the call of adventure in it that I'm like, ah, I like that. Like the vibe of that. I've come to recognize that in the Christian walk. You know, Jesus really isn't messing around. Um, and it's important to be real about that. Like as Christians, like um, he's got lots of good advice. I think if you follow his advice, you'll in the long run be happier and nicer and more gentle with people. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, is he God or not? I, and I don't want to mince words. That is a terrifying reality to come face to face with. It rightly, we're right when we think it will cost us things about our life. All I can say is that it's worth it. Because I think that's the promise that he gives us. It's worth it. There's the parable of uh, a guy who discovers that there's this huge treasure buried in a field that 
that um, he's out walking. He discovers, tr- you know, treasure in this field. He doesn't own the field. It's beyond his pay grade. And so Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like that guy going and selling literally everything else he owns so that he can put a down payment on that field and go dig up the treasure and end up richer than he thought he was going to be. And Jesus is like, real life is like that. You have to give up actually certain things that you think are going to make you happy, but in the end, it's worth it. Knowing the God who made you is worth it. Um, and so I just, I would echo that. I mean, Janelle, we're talking about getting married. I, I know one major question asked by every young person in, in the world is, what about sex and sexuality? Um, there's a lot there. I almost don't want to open that uh, can of worms, but I would just say like... <laughs> Doc Bart's like, if you're not going to open it, I will. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I'm happy to go there. Uh, like, you know, my wife, I don't think... She, like, we've we talked about this, actually. It's a huge part of our story. She's 32. I'm 29. And actually, like, this doesn't make us more holy or anything, but we, n- neither of us had slept with anyone before we met each other and got married. And that was really difficult. <laughs> Like, that was not an easy path to walk. But, like, there's one really concrete example where I can just say it's worth it. And it'd be worth it if Hannah and I had never met. You know, because the point is um, the purpose of our lives is not sex. It's um, it's so much better than that. It's It's bigger than that. I know that sounds like such a counterintuitive message. But, I mean, again, we, we could just look at the state of broader culture. We're in the most sexually liberated era in modern history, ever, ever. You can do anything you want, basically. Um, and we're miserable. It's actually not making us happy. You can actually have a lot of sex and ha- find no intimacy there. And what we really crave isn't sex, it's, it's intimacy. It's relationship with other people. And focusing on sex as the sole purpose of our lives is actually isolating people because they view all relationships as inherently sexual or else they're not worth it. Nothing could be further from the truth. The vast majority of our happiness in this world comes from what C.S. Lewis calls just like just genuine platonic affection between people. And I found that to be true in my life. Like if I had, again, never met Hannah, I would be sad, but I would say it's, it's worth it to at least adhere to what God asks of Christians in that way. Um, and the alternative actually wouldn't make me more happy. I'm very convinced of that. And that's not to say, again, it's like all of this needs a caveat. Like some people are not Christians. They're sleeping with whoever they want to sleep with, and they feel very happy in an immediate sense in that way. So it's not that sex isn't uh, a gift that God's given humanity that won't make us happy sometimes in the moment. My question is, what's the deeper purpose of your life? Because if you reject God's calling for deeper purpose, you're not going to find lasting happiness in any of the, those more immediate sources of gratification that we're looking for. Wow. Oh. <laughs> what would you say to somebody who's like, well, uh, you know what? I've already set up. So, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> you're in good company. We all have that. Like, that's the beauty of it. Like, like none of us, none of us have done this right. Like my wife and I did not do it uh, perfectly, like before we got married, like none of us are, you know, ah, in the, in, in America, we're really, there's this reckoning with this so-called purity culture. 
And that's, again, I just keep opening these uh, massive <laughs> cultural discussions and like, <laughs> I can't do justice to them. But, you know, like the heart of that, there is, uh, there's a truth to that movement and there's one uh, mistaken message, which is like you need to save yourself from marriage uh, in order to be just like pure and acceptable. And that's how you're able to be pure before God. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the healthy part of rejecting that is to say none of us were actually pure before God sexually no matter wh- what we did. Like, all of us have messed up. All of us have messed up. And the beauty of God is that He accepts us and loves us when we come to Him and we say, God, ugh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've, I've taken gifts that you've given me and I've made them ultimate. I've hurt people. I've been selfish. You know, it's like all He asks is to agree with Him that He's God and we're not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's not to deny the purpose of sex or the um, the reality of his rules sort of around it. You know what I mean? But it is just to say that our like our performance on that area is is not um, what how we're in or out. Like it's not the thing that's going to make us right with God, right? It's it's coming to Him with an uh, just a posture of humility. And I think the beauty of Christianity is that then he gives us what we need, like the inner resources of love and joy and hope. He shows us like actually the purpose of life. And he helps us clean up our act after that, not just with sex, with everything. So I want to ask you one follow-up question to that. And then the final question, which you're familiar with. And, and Doc Mar, I know she's driving, but if she uh, has any final uh, thoughts, I'd love for her to add them here in a minute. But I think I'm going to share something a little vulnerable. So I, I was uh, in college and, you know, had loved Jesus from the time I was a little girl. Um, but then, you know, dealt with a lot of identity issues and insecurity and those kind of things. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm dating a boy from my youth group and I wanted him more than I wanted God. And here was somebody who was affectionate towards me and God felt like, this pie in the sky, like constant disapproving, you know, father. In my heart at that time, that is how I viewed God. It was, I want this because it's better and it's immediate. And even though every time I walk away from an interaction with this person in real life, my heart is torn in two. In the moment, it feels good. I enjoy time with him and he's physically present with me. So for somebody right now, who's listening, maybe the girl who's driving right now or the one who's listening later, Leonie, I see you and I love you. Um, how would you, how would you respond to that, Casey? How do we want God when what we have physically, it may not be great, maybe sometimes it is great, but it's what we have, it's what we can see. Um, how do you respond to that? Yeah, that's such a good question, Janelle. I just, I think right off the bat, we have to say like God did design sex, like, and there are, benefits of, I mean, sex is meant to bring people together. It's meant to, um, not just like physically, but like in your brain and in your brain chemistry, it's meant to inspire feelings of trust and connection. Like these are the design specs of human sexuality. This is why he gave it to us is so that we form lasting commitment with people and we commit to them for life, to love and to protect them and to serve them. And sex is only meant to be found within those parameters. Like if it's selfish or if it's harmful or if it's degrading, it's absolutely outside of God's plan. Um, and so 
you know, for anyone who's listening to this and they're sexually active or they have been, it's like, on one hand, you need to just understand that like God gave us sex as a good gift and, and using it outside of the context of how he asks us to use it will not ama- automatically make that a bad experience. Um, at least in, in the short run, like, um, and I, I just think we need to be honest about that. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, so why, why would he ask us to not just do whatever we want whenever we want? And I think that does get to some of the purpose for sex and sexuality. And I think it is found in that lifelong commitment that we're meant to have, you know, in like every love song ever written, there's a yearning for forever. It's like a yearning for a deep commitment. And so God's ethic on that, like just, this is all just like laying the groundwork. Like God actually, that's meant to be found in the commitment of someone who's going to say, I love you. And not, and then not just like leave in the morning. I, I don't know, maybe that doesn't land with people, but for me that, that has been so helpful to just understand like, like the why of God's design for sexuality. So if you've fallen short of that, as again, I have, not, maybe not in like strictly, like, like I said, I hadn't had sex before I met my wife, but like I've definitely fallen short of that in other ways. Um, there's grace for you. And God's not looking at you like you're broken, you're dirty, He's looking at you like, I love you. I want you to experience the fullness of life. And so what that might mean is um, if there are things we're doing that, that aren't in line with his design, that he asks that that's what he's asking us to give up. And for, and for other people, it might be other things, like, a, like an emphasis on career over God, or you know, it's like any number of things we're wrestling with. But... Um, I think his call to us is one of like grace and forgiveness in that. And again, I just have to come back to that. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's like knowing your creator is ultimately worth it. Yeah. I remember asking a similar question of Drew Barriessa, who was on here um, a few times and I'll put a link to uh, the episodes we've had with him in the show notes. But he's like, in the end, Jesus was better. He was better. You know, why, why did he choose him? Uh, he was better than all of that stuff, you know. Um, Dokmar, are you able to offer any final uh, thoughts before we wrap up here with the final question? Yes, I am just trying to find a parking spot. I just arrived. But... <laughs> How's parking um, in the Netherlands, just while we're on that? Good? Well, um, I live on a campsite. So depending on how many people are currently at the park site, it's different. So, for example, right now I have to park on grass because all these Germans have taken my parking spot. <laughs> ah, the Germans. The Germans. The Germans. <laughs> when, I, uh, when I got back from my year at Oxford, I mean, the main thing I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> it's like, I can park my car. Like, it's just easy. There's just land and parking everywhere. Maybe too many parking lots. <laughs> to be honest, in America, but whatever. Well, we have a lot of paid parking. So, so sorry, you were... I didn't mean oh, to interrupt yeah. your uh, question. No. no <laughs> um, what are my final thoughts? Um, I've just been kind of listening, and I don't know. 
I guess a lot of it um, is kind of similar to what um, Yulia Ortega said in like a previous episode. Um, I don't know. It's just hard. Like Janelle said, like giving up control if you've never like given up that control. Like I know that keeping clinging to that control is like not helping me at all. But just can't seem to let go, which is difficult. Um, but yeah, I think that's like one of my final thoughts. Like, okay, so maybe if I give up control, then it's going to get better. And then I can have a relationship with God and everything's going to be better at least. But then again, like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I really think that boils boils it down to like the lowest common denominator. And that, that's just true for all of us. Like we don't know what's going to happen. If God is real, he could ask us to go do any number of things. Like, you know, Mother Teresa, I think of Mother Teresa and she kind of haunts my dreams a little bit. Like she lived her whole life in Calcutta, like serving the poor and, you know, Theoretically, God could ask me to go do something like that. Um, I don't think he does ask every single person, but it's like the equivalent of that in my life. He might. Um, so I understand that. And I, and I think it's good, Dakmar, that you're like just wrestling with that on the nose. Because Jesus does say, count the cost of discipleship. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just also that like, I've been reading a little bit of the Bible with Janelle. Well, it's been a while. But uh, it's also like that um, they said in the Gospel of John that God said, like, if you, like, know me and you push me away, then, like, that's it. Okay, bye. Not really like that, but, like, you know, you have to come to him to get that grace and that forgiveness and everything. And that's kind of like hard that if I, I feel like at this, I'm at this crossroad, like I can now choose to turn back or go all in, but I, I kind of feel like I'm stuck here because mm. I don't know mm. where to go. Mm. Hard. <laughs> I get that. One analogy for faith that I've had is uh, repelling off a cliff. Um, I've, uh, I've been on a backpacking trip in the Sierra Nevadas where the culmination of everything was we repelled off of like a, like a 400 foot, um, like sheer kind of cliff and they harness you in at the top. Like we're up there with a group of like 10 people and there are these mountain guides and they're, they're like crazy, like they're clipped in. And so they're just jumping around like like just insane, like what would seem like reckless disregard for their own safety, except that they know the ropes and they know that the harness works. And so they feel comfortable and they're able to like do all this stuff. And so uh, when it was my turn to get up and go down the cliff, it's like you're harnessed in and you know theoretically that those ropes are gonna hold you. Like again, mm -hmm. you're watching other people do it and, and they're even telling you like, don't worry, bro we could repel like a minivan off the side of this cliff. No problem with these anchors and these ropes. 
So it's like intellectually, it's like, okay, I'm pretty convinced that this is trustworthy. It's like, I wasn't an idiot. Like I asked questions, you know, it's like, I didn't want to just do a blind rappel off the cliff and just trust any, you know, any Yahoo who's like, yeah, trust me, man. Like I put some ropes up, like just rappel off the cliff. It's like, no, okay, this, this is trustworthy. There's an intellectual side I needed to answer. But when it came down to it, it's like, you're just standing there on top of the cliff. You don't feel safe. And it is terrifying. And I actually, I've done this rappel a few times. The first time I did it, I lingered at the top. I was like, so terrified. You're all the weights on your two legs. So you just, you don't feel the ropes holding you. But what happens is the guides say, all right, start backing up, back up. And as you move down the side of this cliff, the harness you're in then starts to take more of the weight, not just your own legs. And that's when you start to feel safe on that cliff. It's the sensation of like trusting your weight on the ropes and realizing they're going to hold you. It's actually okay. And I don't know how to say it other than like faith is exactly like that. It does require action first before we can expect to feel what Jesus promises, like the peace that surpasses understanding and living a life with no secrets. It's like there is, a, there is an act of trust we need to place in him first before we feel it. And again, hear me, that's not to say just do a blind leap of faith towards anything. It's like you really should answer those intellectual questions. And if Christianity is not true, my best advice to you, Dakmar, is like, don't believe it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh my goodness. And is it your dad who's dealing with, who is, um, with Jehovah's Witness right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's relevant there too. I would want to ask serious questions about that particular branch that claims to be Christian, right? There's intellectual, I actually probably personally wouldn't trust that rope to hold me. Um, so we need to ask the intellectual questions, but my advice is um, try trusting the rope. <laughs> I don't know. In my life, it's made all the difference. Casey, uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, One final question for you. Um, The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Um, Of those four gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, which of those stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? I think the big one is eternity. I feel old. <laughs> I know that's Gosh, weird. Don't say that. You're like I know. 12 years younger than me. Oh, I know. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, I do feel old in the sense of, I don't know, life's going fast. Mm-hmm. Part of it is in like, just, I'm so happy right now in this season. Like, I just got married. My wife is a better human being than I ever deserved to meet. <laughs> she's incredible. I feel like I have a lot to lose, you know? Um, And I'm watching family grow older as well. And I think it just drives home to me that question of like, what is this all about ultimately? And I think it's eternity. I really just think the gospel matters in this life. I think it creates purpose and we see the love that that God has for us and it matters for us right here and now but what we're created for is so much better 
And I think that's the core of why it's worth it. I really think that's the treasure Jesus is saying is hidden in the field, is eternity with him and with each other. And it's like, as good as this life is going to be for me, because it's, I think what it is, Janelle, is that like that's starting to take shape. It's like, I kind of know, like, I know at least who, like one person I'm going to be with, you know, in 30 years, Mm. um, God willing. So it's like easier for me to picture what the trajectory of the rest of my life is. And I know that's still like incredibly naive because none of us really know, but um, even if it goes all according to plan, I'm starting to go, okay, like, you know, what? What's the purpose? Mm. So I think eternity, that question of eternity stands out to me right now. Casey, thank you for coming back on the podcast. It's always such a joy to have you on here. And uh, you need to come back on again because uh, you always open up these long conversations that we have to condense. So I feel like you're going (laughs) to have to come back on so we can flesh out some of this stuff. Oh, man. Uh, no, I'd love so to. Dakmar's probably thinking eternity is what, what I picked because I just like talked for an eternity <laughs> on oh, this no. podcast. Honestly, Two parking spaces. Casey, that's most of the guests. That's kind of the whole point here. <laughs> we ask questions and you guys just talk and talk uh, and talk. And then we talk get to and talk. Uh, back up, like a next question, even though we've already had like five ones in between. It's, it's okay. <laughs> I love it. I feel like that that actually is comforting. I'm in good company. Oh, Dakmar, you've been on here too many times. <laughs> she knows know how this works. Oh, Dakmar and Casey Leander, thank you so much for being here. Until next time. Thanks, Janelle. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.